Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today in the show, we're taking a look at The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, which is the ninth film in The Conjuring franchise. I'm not actually sure. Depending uh, on it, how you count. Depending on how you count. That's right. There's some spinoffs in there. Um, but it's the third proper Conjuring movie starring uh, Patrick Wilson, Vera Farmiga, like the proper tentpole Conjuring movie. Andy and I watched it. We're talking third or fourth. Am I, am I wrong, Andy? It's a third. It's the third. Okay, the third in, in the ten, ten pole franchise. Andy and I are right. going to talk about it. We're excited to get into it. We're also going to take a look at Those Who Wish Me Dead. The new Taylor Sheridan film has uh, a lot of people talking. and ho- Actually, nobody's talking about it, but we're talking about it because we can get to watch it a few weeks back. It's on HBO Max. If you have the means, you should check it out and watch it with us and let us know what you thought. Uh, no middle segment this week because we're getting a super late start. Zach is really, really late to the podcast recording today. So sorry, guys. Andy's been... Gracious enough to hang out and wait for me. Before we get to everything, though, we need to jump into the news. Our first story this week, box office. The Hitman's Wife Bodyguard is striking a target with a $17 million take. Uh, Not too shabby of a weekend, I guess, for the sequel to a movie that I think did pretty good, right? Uh, Well... It won the weekend, but it's it's losing the overall uh, war for box office uh, returns. Uh, it cost around seventy million dollars to make, so seventeen million is not a whole lot. Um, I'd noticed that this was actually in theaters as early as last Tuesday, um, and I think they're trying to get to that uh, seventeen day window where, where they can just throw it to uh, um, to rent, um, which is part part of the great thing about that deal that came out of the pandemic is that if a film does poorly, you can scurry it to uh, streaming and get people get it to the rentals, you know, in, in as early as two and a half weeks. Um, so it's not doing super great, but it did win, win the weekend. It does obviously have to compete with things like In the Heights or uh, A Quiet Place 2, which is still kind of doing really well. Um, it's worth mentioning the first film did pretty good, but this next one is uh, kind of... It's not, not getting awesome reviews by critics. It's got a B audience audience score, right? And 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 uh, on Cinema Score, so it's probably not terrible. But I think I think they should 100% be aiming for streaming. That that would be the comfortable place to watch what this movie is doing, right? It's a goofy comedy. It's Ryan Reynolds, Samuel Jackson, Salma Hayek. Like, I think I think people watching this at home would be ideal. It seems like folks uh, folks going to the theaters feel the same way. I'm surprised A Quiet Place Part Two is still doing so well, but surely next week it'll be it'll be knocked off the high horse, right? Yeah, it'll be knocked off. It's still doing well uh, with a domestic total of 125 million, and is I think past the 200 million dollar mark globally. So again, we were wondering why they didn't just scurry this thing to streaming during the pandemic, uh, but it's shown to be really profitable and have legs, and um, it's you know it's probably still gonna uh, rake in some more. Yeah. Our next story, uh, Steven Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment Partners uh, signs a film production partnership with Netflix. This is on top of one Amblin already has with Universal. Andy, I thought Spielberg hated Netflix, right? I thought it was like anti-cinema or something. What the hell is this? He didn't until they started cutting him checks. Um, Yeah, we don't really have a lot of... Uh, details about this deal about how you know how many films or what kind of films are going to be making and producing but the big news is that Spielberg is finally finally on board with Netflix and streaming at large I think it's very difficult to deny that that streaming is here not only here to stay but it's it's a big part of, of cinema it's a different way to enjoy, enjoy cinema and the the purists are, are you know slowly 
coming over and realize, hey, this this isn't a bad thing for movies. And if anything, Netflix will make you let you make movies that you wouldn't be able to make. Things like The Irishman wouldn't exist without Netflix. Yeah, I, it's worth mentioning in recent years, Amlin's been a producer on award-winning films like Green Book in 1917 and specifically worked with Netflix on the trial of the Chicago 7. Uh, they're also working on Bradley Cooper's new film Maestro. Uh, so Amlin and Netflix are not exactly far off from each other. But for those of you who might be thinking, what do you mean when you say Spielberg doesn't like uh, doesn't like streaming services? If you haven't been listening to the show, and there's a good chance you haven't, uh, Spielberg for like months was talking Years. mad, mad game about how awful streaming was and how cinema has to be seen in the theater. So this is a bit of a turn. I mean, obviously, it's not him penning a letter in, in, in you know, the, the local paper or anything about the quality of streaming services, but his company, his production company to jump on i mean that's that's it's almost the same right uh yes i mean for for years yes he said that netflix and streaming at large was not cinema was uh you know he hated that they were in contention for the oscars he felt like they were gaming the system he did very slowly dip his toe in by doing a uh producing a series tv series for apple tv plus um which was kind of you know, a, a break from his, his stance on streaming, and now he's gone full into into an, into the enemy, which is Netflix, and is going to be making movies. So, uh, as much as I'd like to say I told you so, um, I'm glad to see Spielberg turn things around and kind of have a better opinion of streaming. Well, I tell you what, I, I don't think he had a change of heart just because he woke up one day and was like Ebenezer Scrooge, like and was visited by the three ghosts of streaming films <laughs> of to cinema come. past. Like, yeah, right. Like I think you're exactly. It's those checks, man. Like he started getting that Netflix money, and suddenly, mm, boy, like I really like this streaming stuff. I think that matters, and like. Yeah, that's good. Like Spielberg should be embracing the opportunities that streaming services are providing to big filmmakers like him. Like think of the pet projects he could make that like he couldn't get funded in the past. Think of Fincher's Mank or or Alfonso Cuaron making Roma. Like it's an opportunity for big directors to create things that are really unique without the backing of a studio feature. And, um, you know, I, I, I hope it leads to good films. I hope it leads to good opportunity, good discussion. Like it, it seems like a win-win as far as I'm concerned. Like, I, I, Hey, welcome aboard Spielberg. Yeah, exactly. It, there's a lot of artistic freedom with Netflix. Um, and it's not just the amount of money. It's the fact that they will fund projects. You couldn't get funded anywhere else or just again, the scope of, of certain projects and, um, yeah, I mean, it's probably just easier to finance a lot of things through Netflix. Yeah, I think it is. So, you know, hey, maybe we'll see some cool stuff from Amblin coming down the road, courtesy of Netflix and Universal. Our last story this week, Paramount unveils Transformers Rise of the Beasts as the next chapter in the franchise. Oh, my God. This is another Transformers movie. I can't take it. Uh, just just when we thought it was dead, it comes hold, roaring back. That's right. Hold on to your hats. Uh, director Stephen Capel Jr., producer Lorenzo Di Bonaventura, and stars Anthony Ramos, most recently, of uh, In the Heights, in the we Heights. covered last week, and Dominique Fishback pulled back the curtain on the 90s era film. Andy, what the hell is Transformers Rise of the Beasts? Um, so this is going to be an adaptation of the kind of series called Beast Wars uh, from the 90s, uh, which deals with the Transformers having gone back in time and ended up in prehistoric Earth or something. Optimus Prime is still going to be like the main protagonist. Um, and like we said, Anthony Robinson. I, I really hope like there's an SNL sketch where he like mixes like does an In the Heights style number to the Transformers. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Uh, 
so that's what we know. It's it's a it's in the different reboot of uh, the Transformers, which as much as we love to hate on it, it is a f- like four billion dollar um, revenue. You know, it, it's a huge property, hugely successful, and you can't just stop making movies. Um, so it's going to be yet another kind of reinvention of of Transformers, which we're sp- supposed to still be getting a sequel to the standalone Bumblebee film. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited to see what they do with this. Like you said, it's it's based off the show Beast Wars. Uh, so not only will we feature, according to the producer here, not only will we feature all new Autobots and um, Decepticons, but we'll feature Maximals and Predacons. Um, apparently, everybody who worked on this show watched Beast Wars and loves Transformers, except for Dominique Fishback, who admittedly did not watch it, she, she says here. So... I appreciate her just being up front, front about that. Seven Transformers movies. Andy, how do they keep making these things? I mean, they, they, they're just an action juggernaut, and they do well, particularly overseas, uh, where you don't really have to understand a whole, you know, you don't have to understand, like, the nuance of American culture. It's just big robots fighting each other. It's very universal. <laughs> right. Strange. Like they, yeah, they, they keep making them cause they make a ton of money. Like that's just, that's kind of it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I don't go see them. I, how many, I think I've seen, I think I've seen two, three. Yeah. Maybe the third transformers movie. Like I know I've seen two. Um, but other than that, I, I've been completely checked out. I, I missed Bumblebee when that came out. We were watching other stuff. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I thought, we'll, I thought we'll we reviewed Bumblebee on this show. <laughs> I I never saw Bumblebee for maybe sure. No was, way. Maybe you it was did. Actually, like maybe that was like a one off. Like you, you saw it. Yeah. I saw it. So that movie was actually one of the better Transformers movies, and it actually had a, a lot better writing and kind of storytelling. So I'd like to see a follow. Because because any chance? Yeah, this has that kind of same. Because yeah, that was well received. Like people people yeah. like that one. Yeah. No, this is just going to be your favorite bots uh, fighting each other. Well, through through okay. time. Yeah. Uh, that reminds me, before we get too far away from it and move on to our first review, I want to say uh, the director of Transformers Rise of the Beast, Stephen Capel Jr., most previously has done Creed II. Uh, that was his last film. And then before that, it was a whole lot of like music and small stuff. So welcome welcome to the big Hollywood director machine, Stephen Capel Jr. You, you put out one movie that was pretty good, and now you're immediately given a franchise and expected to hold it up. So good luck, man. Uh, you gotta. I'm sure you can do better than Michael Bay's last four outings. Uh with that, we should probably jump into the proper reviews of the episode. Andy's graciously agreed to take the first one for us. Andy, please take it away. The Conjuring, the devil made me do it. Hey. You okay there? Jesus. I think I hurt someone. So this is the third installment, proper installment of the Conjuring series and the ninth in the overall Conjuring uh, universe. Starts Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga as Ed and Lorraine Warren, two real-life ghost hunters, uh, paranormal investigators uh, who have all these files and actually were doing this stuff in the 70s and 80s. Um, They're real people. Uh, these movies are definitely heavily fictionalized on their work, but it's one of those things where you can kind of base it a little bit in reality. The premise in this one is uh, in 1981, there is an exorcism at a, at this uh, family's home. And at one point the, the demon jumps from the younger brother into the older brother um, named Arnie played by uh, Rari O'Connor. 
Um, and then he gets possessed and commits a horrible crime. And uh, they try to argue his defense then attempts to argue that he is innocent by uh, <laughs> because of being possessed. Uh, or the devil made me do it. This is, of course, a ridiculous defense, uh, but the Warrens are brought in to help um, prove the paranormal that he was, you know, really under the influence of, of a demon. Um, this is actually a really terrible premise and not interesting at all, but it actually gets more interesting because the real heart of the movie is they have to do a lot of detective work about why this is happening and uh, they think that someone is summoning a demon and so they're they're actually investigating why that's happening and these things related to the case so the actual premise and everything that that's been behind the marketing isn't actually really the main plot uh, of the story um but that's our setup it's it's a horror film uh, you got your jump scares you got some creepy stuff you got some paranormal uh psychic uh there's a whole lot in there some of this works, a lot of it doesn't, um, but I, I think it's definitely for a certain crowd. Um, anyways, Zach, what'd you think? So I kind of like this movie. Um, I, admittedly, I have need, seen none of the Conjuring films, um, but as everybody told me in preparation for this one, this anthology series, you don't have to have seen all of them. You know, maybe maybe one and two, like featuring Ed and Lorraine Warren, like those would be the good ones to see because this one follows that story. But like the spinoffs and stuff, The Curse of La Llorona, you don't have to go see that. You don't have to see the Annabelle stuff. Like you can just jump right into this one. And, and like, I, I like horror, man. Like I watch a lot of horror movies and I was surprised to see how many influences are in this movie, actually. I do want to mention that. But um, ultimately, this movie is not quite like the kind of horror I'm looking for like when I sit down and watch a horror movie, like right, right when this movie started, I thought, what if Ari Aster shot this film? And then like the whole next hour, I was disappointed. I was like, why did I even start to think this was <laughs> going to be something like, like it's, it's, it's a, it's a unique kind of horror thing. And I think that's an important point to stand on. Like it's a, it's like a studio horror film. If that makes any sense. Like it's not, it's not like a unique indie or like somebody doing something really like, I don't know. Like it just—it was a little bit of like a factory production, like a Bloomhouse production, right? Like it's—it's it's kind of a—it—it it fits all these these tenets of of what a, a horror movie should be, and in some places it exceeds really well, but in other places it was just kind of flat, and and I was a little bored. So I do want to talk about what works. Um, I'm surprised at how much I I like about this movie, but personally I don't I don't feel like it was that awesome. So let's jump into it. Um, and and what I think people will take away from this. Yeah, well, like you said, th this movie is definitely, it, it's a very successful franchise, and it's definitely uh, you know, like a popcorn horror flick. It's not yeah. super scary. Uh, there's a lot in there. It's for a certain audience, and it's very successful. So, they're, you know, they're doing something right, um, even if it's not the, the greatest filmmaking. Yeah, like, and that's that's a big part of it. Uh, you know, I watched it at home, which is another another thing we should talk about, I think, uh, where to watch this movie, because you can watch it on HBO Max at home, or you can go see it in theaters. I watched it at home and about halfway through it, I hopped up to to get a drink from the kitchen and my wife asked me, hey, what do you think so far? And I was like, you know, these movies make millions of dollars and there is a ton of people that really like them. Personally, I'm not into it, but this like, it's not, it's, it's not quite paint by numbers. That's the wrong way to say it, but this kind of like serialized approach to creating these horror films, like I see why people get into it. They're, they're a lot of fun. Um, good set pieces, like good acting from the people who are in them. Uh, they're well shot. Like fundamentally, I have very little to complain about. Um, th there was a lot that I liked about it actually. So I, I do want to take a minute to talk about the performances. 
Um, Ed and Lorraine Warren are played by Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga, who are great in this movie. They, they both feel really natural. Obviously, it's the third outing playing these characters. I was confused because I had thought, like Andy, we talked about this yesterday, I thought I had seen a Conjuring movie because I know I saw a horror movie that Patrick Wilson's in. That's Insidious. It's a totally different thing. But he's also Insidious in that. Verse, yeah. Yes, yeah. So, so I thought I'd seen Conjuring, and I hadn't. I'd seen, I'd seen Insidious. Those are different things. But Patrick Wilson, Vera Farmiga, are really great. Uh, Patrick Wilson's character Ed Warren has a bit of a bit of a handicap in this film. Uh, he's got a kind of a heart condition. Uh, <laughs> something that that's incurred early on in the film that he kind of has to deal with. And don't laugh, Andy. And uh, <laughs> I, so he's got only, only because there's I'll stop your heart, old man. Like that's right, that that is a great movie. I'll stop your heart, old man. That's a great. It's a good meme uh, for sure. Uh, he, he's got this kind of heart condition that he has to deal with. So he's not quite as like limber as he was in the previous films. He's got to take it easy. And there's always this kind of risk of, hey, if, if he gets too scared or excited or anything, he that, that might put him over. Additionally, we have Vera Farmiga's character, Lorraine, who has these visions. Uh, the two of them are these, you know, married supernatural couple, couple traveling the world, you know, hunting supernatural beings and doing exorcisms. It's like Supernatural, the show on, on the CW or, or uh, in a much simpler way, Scooby-Doo. Um, she has these like visions and premonitions of like things to come. So between him trying to take it easy and her being overwhelmed by these kind of things she's seeing from these beings and demons that are in the area or whatever, um, you get a lot of opportunities for the two of them to kind of like stand on their own and, and, and do their own things and have their own moments. And, and collectively they make a great duo. I love following them around and like seeing what they're getting into and like, you know, the spooky stuff. Like it's great. A great few complaints, if any about them. Yeah, the uh, the mystery aspect of this movie is way more interesting than the horror. At the, like the horror stuff, like none of it, it's scary. There's a couple of jump scares that you see coming a mile away, uh, so it doesn't really get you. Um, them investigating the the possession or who's behind it or responsible or when they find this uh artifact or that or they need to go investigate talk to this person like the like Zach said before the Scooby Doo of it all is. Uh, is a great thing that like that part's actually interesting. It's when it kind of gets the the horror stuff. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I I feel like this movie is trying to do too much all at once. It's trying to be a, a possession movie, a uh, you know paranormal like psychic like because Lorraine is like she's kind of a superhero. <laughs> she has she's like kind of psychic right. and kind of yeah. has this connection and uh, kind of clairvoyant. Um, <laughs> Patrick Wilson has no abilities other than being a drag. Being an <laughs> old man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I think, but I, I think that is what hurts it is that there's so many, because yeah, sometimes it's, like I said, it's trying to be too many different kinds of horror genre and I can't really decide on one. Yeah, like it, it, they really have this kind of anthology thing down to an individual science when it comes to these films because it hits a lot of elements. I was surprised, like I said earlier, how many how many like tributes to other horror films I saw in this. Um, there were a lot of shots that felt like Sam Raimi's Evil Dead, right? Like crash zooms on something scary or like a, a corpse like gets up and is walking around the room and the kid got crazy Dutch angles, like really, really wacky stuff. Additionally, we get uh, like honest tributes to The Exorcist. Um, a very clear one that made the front page Reddit a couple weeks ago, like a, a shot that is like right out of The Exorcist. Uh, the Shining has some stuff going on at the end of the film. There's some imagery related to that. And, and that's just some of the stuff I immediately noticed. I feel like this movie really picks up and runs with like other 
you know, elements from other great horror movies to its benefit. Like, I don't mind that stuff. I think that's like charming. I thought it was cool to be like, Hey, it's like the shining at the end. Like, that's great. Like, I think that helps the experience. And that's, that's part of, I think what this movie does differently from those movies. Those films are, are trying to be these intimate, small horrors. This is supposed to be large and appealing to everybody. It's meant for a big audience in a big theater. And uh, watching it at home, I think it hurts that experience. Watching it alone during the day with the sun streaming through the windows on like my crappy Vizio soundbar in my living room. It was okay. But like, man, if I'd gotten to see this opening night with like a theater full of fans, like it would have been so much better, I think. And like, that's, that's, I think the ideal place to watch a Conjuring movie. At least, I mean, that I think. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Especially so... Th- this was a weird decision. There's an exorcism that happens at the very beginning of the movie. It's the opening scene. Yeah. Uh, it's about 10 minutes. Um, and it's really exciting that it's some of the stuff that's been used in the promo. And it's kind of the most climactic part of the movie. So it's, I don't know why it's at the beginning because then it's all kind of downhill from there. But that scene would be much more effective in, in the theater. And there are this, you know, big kind of, you know, where ghastly things are, are going on. Um, I'm not going to get into it too much, but Again, much more effective in a dark theater with like big sound, big screen. Um, it definitely doesn't translate when you're just watching it by yourself as much. Yeah, like you need you need people, you know, you need, you need that hype like in the theater. You need people that are like excited and scared and stuff and laughing and like that. I think that's what makes this really work. But um, on its own, I was surprised at the length. Uh, it's coming up on two hours. And, and I remember I, I started it on HBO and uh Right when it started, I texted Andy like, oh, my God, this is an hour 52. Like, I thought there's gonna be a tight 90 for sure. Like, it's a studio, it's a studio horror film, right? Like, what's, what's going on here? Um, and it's long, but it's also winding. Like, like Andy said, when he talked about the plot, like, I was surprised at how far we end up going away from the initial synopsis that's presented yeah. in the trailer. The trailer makes it look like, Oh, this kid commits a crime and he claims it's the devil and it's a conjuring movie. So it probably is. No, there's like all kinds of other stuff going on in this movie. Like I was really surprised at how grand it's it. They're, they're trying to make it feel. Yeah. I, I thought it would be, it would, I've, I thought there would be like a trial and that they would get up and like talk. And when, when they would testify, it would like flashback to, you know, some paranormal thing. Uh, but there's like no, no trial. Like the, he, like the kid commits the crime. He's arrested. And that's kind of, we don't see him again until kind of the, yeah. the end, end of the film. The other thing that, that is kind of weird, uh, or I, this was just a strange decision is that they, they, they try to have this subplot of like the Warren's like love story in the background or of them like meeting as teenagers at a theater. And it's like, it kind of pops up throughout the movie. And I was like, why is this even in here? Just show yep. me scary stuff. Just spook yep. me. Yep. None of that works. I, I don't Where care about spooks? how much, I don't care how much Ed and Lorraine Warren love each other. Like they're there. There's three of these movies now. I, I, I want to see like a ghost. Other, yeah. I don't, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the spooks. And you're totally right. Like the, the kid who, you know, commits the crime at the beginning that kind of sets off this whole thing. It sets the whole thing in motion. He's barely in the film. Like he's, he's in the first act a bit and then they put him in jail. And then Ed and Lorraine Warren, like, we're going to go figure it out and save him. And then like, you basically don't get to him until the end of the movie. Uh, And I kept waiting for that, like few good men courtroom scene. Like maybe after they like fight the big bad at the end, right? Ever the, the ghost or the curse or the demon or whatever it's supposed to be. Maybe then we get like them uh, the last day of the trial and they call Ed up to the stand and Ed gives an impassioned speech about like demons and Belief ghosts or whatever. And, yeah. Never happens. Like it, it's weird. Like, and, and I'm not, I'm not sure why they advertised it that way. I, I think 
the hot the hot tagline is what it says in the poster, right? The, the demonic case that shocked America. You frame it around that, but really, like that's not actually what the movie's about. It's just kind of just like that. That's the catalyst to get our plot in motion. Right. And that's one thing I I think that these movies do really well is, you know, if you have these these characters that that are the same throughout the whole series, it it like writes half the movie for you, because generally you could you would have to like come up with a whole new like cast of characters for each of these horror premises. But if you just shove it into the Warren files, then, uh, you know, you can have just recurring characters and just kind of change up what they do. Like you said, it's like the episode of of the week. Yeah, like it really, yeah, it's 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 Scooby Doo of the week. It's like it it very much reminded me of the show Supernatural because it's just like this similar, like okay, we have two individuals, they hunt these things, they're going to figure it out, like, and we're on our way, which is exactly what Supernatural did every single week. Um, it's not bad, but you just kind of know what you're getting into, I guess. I did want to mention the sets, the set design in this movie. It's a little ham-fisted in some moments. Like Andy said, we open on like an exorcism that maybe all the Conjuring movies do this. If, if they do, write it in the show and let me know because I, I really don't know either way. But uh, <laughs> the, God, the, the the exorcism scene in the beginning basically like ends up demolishing the inside of this house. Like just, just destroyed. There's like a tornado. It's insanity. And that sets up kind of the rest of our plot. And then like two scenes later, the house is like totally fine. Which takes you out of the experience, but it's worth mentioning all these sets are like phenomenally well furnished and well lit everywhere they're at looks great. At one point they're in like this, like kind of, kind of library archive of like occult material. And there's like all kinds of stuff on the walls There's skulls and bones and jars and books with notes hanging out that look like they've been there for a thousand years. And then another point they're in a morgue and like, it looks, it looks like a creepy morgue and like, there's going to be a ghost or something there. Like, Everywhere they go looks really great, but I couldn't help but thinking like all this is on a soundstage, like none of this somehow doesn't feel really authentic. And I don't know how that happens. Maybe I'm just maybe just disillusioned because I'm not sitting in the theater. So this is yeah, yeah, this is this is supposed to take place in 1981. And like, I feel like the time is all over the place because the way that they dress looks like they're in the 50s. It does not feel like the early 80s for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't feel modern at at all. Not that the early 80s are that modern anymore. But yeah, you feel like you're in the 40s or the 50s for half the film. Then you realize that was supposed to be like 1981, 82. So it's just, it's weird. And it's like anachronistic, you know, settings that kind of pop up. Yeah. And, and, but I, but I have to, kind of swing back around and say like not only are the sets they're using very well put together they're very well lit the acting solid i like the way this movie shot um it's hold on i did forget the actual scares the actual horror bit of it andy were you ever actually scared watching this movie not really there were a couple of times where there was like like oh that's like something scary is gonna happen or you know where you you something is hinted at but it's not a full on jump scare that yeah. was more more creepy than any of the actual jump scares yeah I, I felt the same way like the the tone of stuff I think worked worked best and 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 watching this at home really highlights like how important the audio is in these features um you I think you gotta watch this in the theater with the big speakers like. Watching it at home in the soundbar, like none of the jump scares land because I'm trying to be quiet because my wife's in the other room reading. <laughs> so like I'm not getting these big violin strings or anything like that make me jump out of my seat. Um, I, I wasn't aware of how much 
this film would lean on that. And, and it really does. I think the audio is a big, big element to enjoying these films. So, uh, any other thoughts, anything else you got going on? I think I'm ready. Uh, one other thing I want to mention the kid that plays Arnie Johnson, who's barely in the film, uh, really good. I don't know what else he's going to be in, but he's solid. So I don't know. I think he's been in some television shows. You might, might see him pop up in more. Otherwise, uh, Andy, would you recommend the conjuring? The devil made me do it. I'd recommend it to fans of the series. If you if you're a fan of the Conjuring series or, or have seen all the other eight <laughs> films uh, uh, in the in the franchise, uh, you're going to enjoy it. If you're looking for you know a popcorn horror thing, it's not too scary, not too serious. Uh, you're going to enjoy it. It's definitely going to be better on the big screen, which I, I wanted to find a, a big screen showing, but there wasn't one uh, that really worked with my uh, schedule. Um, otherwise, just save it for streaming. Um, it's not it's not great horror, but it's not. There's some things that work about it. Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat. If you like Conjuring movies, I would say if you have the means, get a couple friends and go to a movie theater. Like, it, I think it needs to be social if you if you can, and I think it needs to be in a theater. If you can't do the theater, get some friends and watch it at home. Don't don't watch it alone at home like I did. I, I think it really hurts it. But um, I I think I think I the I don't know. I guess I'd recommend it for. <laughs> I say go to a theater. Meanwhile, I'm like recommended for streaming. I just didn't like it that much. I guess I need to go back and watch the first one. I think I'd probably really embrace what's going on in that movie a lot more. Um, but otherwise it's okay. It's okay. What I watch. Okay. Big question, Andy, uh, next Conjuring movie comes out. You're going to go see that. You know, I don't, I don't think I'd be against it. You know, if, yeah. if it's, if it's, if it's a slow week, um, it, it's one of those things. I mean, it's like, I, I like Hellraiser and Hellraiser isn't, that series <laughs> uh, starts strong and gets real weak. So it's, yeah, I, pr- I would probably wa- watch it on a slow week. Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat. Like, I, I yeah, and then next Conjuring movie comes out, I'll probably watch it. Like, I, yeah, and in and, and that way, I can't say this was a bad thing. Like, this movie was not my cup of tea, um, but it was a pretty good cup of tea regardless. It's, it's the kind of th- thing, like, you could enjoy with, like, a bunch of friends making a good drinking game out of or yes. just, like, l- laughing at it as it happens. Yes, it is. It is. I think it is a social horror film, if that makes any sense. Uh, and that's The Conjuring. The devil made me do it. Uh, if you've seen The Conjuring, like, if you're up on these and you know what's up, please write in the show. Uh, mail at offscriptfilmreview.com and let me know if we're crazy or we know what we're talking about. You know, comment on Facebook where we do the live streams every Tuesday. We'll, we'll plug more at the end, but, like, please, please let me know. Like, to fill me in because I feel like maybe I am maybe I need to see the bigger picture, you know. Um, but I'm glad we watched it. And then there's the other show we watched, uh, the other movie we watched for the show this week. I'm going to be doing the summer on this one, so please excuse my clumsy delivery. The movie is Those Who Wish Me Dead. Why'd they put you in a fire tower? Well, I'm just lucky, I guess. So Those Who Wish Me Dead is the story of Hannah Faber, a daredevil smoke jumper in Montana. If you don't know what a smoke jumper is, I'll tell you. It's somebody who fights wildfires, as far as I know, and lives out in a forest uh, uh, fire tower right out in Montana, out in the middle of nowhere, and basically just keeps an eye out for wildfires, makes sure there's no wildfires happen. If they do, she suits up and goes out and gets after it. Hannah is suffering from PTSD, 
uh, following a recent wildfire in Montana where she was unable to save a struggling family. Uh, she's, she's really struggling to get by. She's uh, resigned herself to be a recluse in a fire tower. All her friends who are also smoke jumpers are like, you're crazy. And then one day out in the woods, she uh, finds a boy, uh, a young boy named Connor, who's running away from these two crazy assassins who were out to get him after they brutally murdered his father, who was a forensic accountant, which sounds boring, but hear me out. Uh, now, uh, these two assassins are after him and Hannah has to help this boy get out of the woods and get away from these two killers who were so desperate to find him. Uh, they're willing to set the entire forest ablaze. Uh, Hannah Faber is played by Angelina Jolie, who I've not seen in a movie in a minute. So I was glad to see her back. Our two assassins are played by Nicholas Holt and Aiden Gillen. Uh, from Game of Thrones and Mad Max Fury Road, which we watched just recently. Uh, also starring John Bernthal and directed by Taylor Sheridan, the movie is Those Who Wish Me Dead. Andy, what did you think? Uh, this was really a <laughs> debate by number. Very cliche. Um, disappointing in uh, Taylor Sheridan, for sure. He's done such good work. Uh, but this just seems like kind of a safe Hollywood pick. It's got a, it's overcasted. Like the cast is way too good for the film and, and for the writing. Uh, we do get some decent performances, uh, particularly out of Medina's, uh, Senghorse who plays John Bernthal's, uh, pregnant wife, Angelina Jolie never like, I'm not for once convinced that she's a fire fire. <laughs> like she, she just looks too clean. Like, like she's yes. not like gruff and like gritty enough. Uh, for for the movie, um, Nicholas Holt and Aiden uh, Gillen, who play these these two assassins, are uh, they're a little incompetent, but also I do like that they're very military and that they speak in that way to e each other, and they're like you know the the target the, this and um they, they seem a little bit more competent in some ways than a lot of assassins. But just is this reminded me of a thousand other movies of like you know mob mob bad guys kills uh you know guy who knows too much before trial. Yeah, I mean, we, we've watched so many movies of, like, featuring, like, a child that's on the run from some kind of evil and, like, a hero protagonist that has to save them. And cop this movie, cop like, and a half. Yeah. Kindergarten <laughs> cop. Yeah. Yes. And this movie checks those boxes, for sure. It's got some interesting elements, like, the Montana stuff is neat, but, like, I feel like 90% of it's green screen, which really does not help. Like, you, you want to feel like you're in the woods for that stuff, and... They're not always out in the woods. Additionally, uh, Angelina Jolie is just a little disingenuous. I don't like her. The people around her, these other smoke jumpers treat her like she's like a 30 year old, like vixen who's out there. Veteran, doing her thing. Yeah. And she's like, she's clearly in, like in her late. I mean, how old is she? Like late forties. Yeah. And she's had a little work done. And it's just like, you're not a firefighter in Montana. You're very obviously not a firefighter in Montana. I've, you've never, nothing about you looks like that. She's born in 75. I don't know the math on that, but just give you an idea. Um, but besides that, I, I do like the performances of the people here. You're right. Like the cast is too good for what the movie is. I don't know if they just signed off because, be, because it was Taylor Sheridan and they were like, Oh, that's the guy that did hell in high water. Like we, we in Sicario, like it's going to be great, but like, it's just a little flat. And, and I, I am excited to talk about why that is. I think it's still available on HBO max to watch for free for a little while longer. Um, but then yeah. you'll have it's, to pay. Go it's going to be going straight to, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this, Red this, Bull. This is this this movie screams like five dollar DVD bin at Walmart. Like it just doesn't it does it yeah. doesn't quite hit the highs where it needs to get. But let's let's jump into it. First things first, we have 
not not to hammer on her anymore, but our performances I think is the best place to start, right? We've got Hannah, we've got Angela Jolie. I think we already kind of covered her a little bit. I want to talk about John Bernthal as kind of this sidekick, and then our two mercenaries. The the, the child actor is played by uh, Finn Little. I don't think he's really been in anything. He's you know he's okay. He's a kid. Like he's doing his best. Like I I can't get mad yeah. at him, but. Uh, as far as our, our, our kind of sidekicks, we've got John Bernthal, who plays this kind of firefighter cop. He's, he's not even a firefighter. He's a local like sheriff, really, uh, who's friends yeah. with Hannah and and, and uh, kind of rivals in that way. He's a cop. She's a firefighter. And then we've got our two mercenaries who I think are brothers, uh, Nicholas Holt and Aiden, Aiden Gillen, who, who are kind of these also kind of cop and a half like these these goo you know they're not goofy quite they're they're serious but like they're just driving they, around the woods icing people like that's and they're and they're like we got a call from the boss and we gotta yeah. we gotta go we gotta take out the target you know which is great but like the the motivation is just so flat like there's just nothing really genuine behind it they fluctuate from being like really precise military um you know assassins to just being like incompetent buffoons right like a <laughs> child runs away from them and they can't catch them like come on um and they're also they're doing things like you know they, they start out the the movie starts out with a very uh clean and, and meticulous assassination and then they're like shooting in the open highway like with machine guns um i'm like not not super subtle there no but they have silencers on and nobody can hear those for miles obviously mm-hmm. right yeah yeah the, the other so there's well one thing that that really sticks out is like so obviously they're not going to set a real forest fire um and so every you get a bunch of cgi fire and cgi smoke and it's just not super convincing yeah like it just doesn't it doesn't come across great additionally um there are some weather effects out in the forest there's some thunder and lightning and like all that's i mean obviously cgi they're not going to wheel all that equipment out there and have angelina jolie run around lightning storm montana uh, a lot of the fire tower stuff, that's a set, like, that's just green screen back there. Like, it it just feels a little phony, right? And you get actors who are too good for the movie uh, in combination with sets that, like, clearly do not hold up for what they're doing. And, like, it just doesn't, doesn't really come across. I, I was confused why Nicholas Holt is in the role that he's in. He is, like, the muscle. He's supposed to be the muscle in this, in, in, in this kind of, this duo of mercenaries. Aiden Gillen, he played Littlefinger. Right. Uh, like he, he's, he's got that villainous kind of like twirling his mustache kind of thing. Nicholas Holt. Meanwhile, the dude's like seven foot and he's like a twig guy's a string. Yeah. Man. He still looks like nuts yeah. from Mad Max. <laughs> right. So him like trying to be the muscle in this group while Aiden Gillen is trying to be like the charm. And, you know, he's, he's, he's calling people and making deals. Nicholas Holt is like a sniper and he's supposed to be like icing people. And it's like, dude, I, I'm not. There's nothing about you that's intimidating, like just totally miscast. Meanwhile, John Bernthal is supposed to be like this kind of nice guy sheriff. And I'm like, John Bernthal would have been the muscle. He's he, like, look at him. Like he, he looks vicious, right? He was a bad guy in The Walking Dead. He'd be great at it. I'm glad he's stretching out because I know Bernthal hates those roles. He's really trying to get into more charismatic stuff. But I, it just seemed like the two of them sort of should have been swapped or something. It was weird. Weird, weird casting decisions. I think. <laughs> yeah. So but but both good Holt, for what they did. I mean, yeah, Nicholas Holt is 6'3", so he's like really tall. But more. he's just super lanky and he just like yeah. doesn't uh, doesn't look like a doesn't look like the muscle at all. No, he is a he is he's a thin individual. Uh, like I said, I don't have much to say about the ch- the, the kid. Uh, he's okay, you know. Like I I I I think. I don't know why studios keep doing this. They, they keep going with this angle of, 
oh, we have a child star that's holding up like 30% of the script. Great. Like, no, that's bad. It almost never works out. Like you're, you're so rarely going to find like a Macaulay Culkin, whereas you're more, much more often going to find like a totally forgettable kid who flubs lines and doesn't, doesn't get us where we need to be as far as emotion is concerned. And this falls into that latter core ladder category. He's okay. Give him a couple more movies. Maybe he'll be good stuff, but like, it's just, you just don't care. Yeah. I'm, I well, just don't care about what this kid is doing. I don't care at all. You know, the, the movie's filled, absolutely filled with, uh, cli- you know, cat and mouse cliches, uh, that you've seen in uh, a ton of other films. Uh, there are a couple of tense moments, but you kind of, you know who the bad and good guys are and you kind of know who's going to survive. Nothing's a, a surprise. Um, and like you said, uh, Angelina Jolie's PTSD just screams like someone said, insert tragic backstory here. Oh gosh! Um, yeah, <laughs> um, it's just yeah. She's allegedly dealing with this, uh, you know, the a family she couldn't save in the in a forest fire, and she keeps having flashbacks. And well, this kid is my one time to save someone in Bieber, and it's just like uh, again, it, it just seems very cliche and paid by number. Yeah, it just feels thin. Like I, the idea of her having like this horrible, you know, post traumatic stress disorder from like one family in this wildfire it's like she's supposed to be a career firefighter she's seen thousands hundreds of thousands of acres of forest burned down at this point in her life she's had multiple friends likely die who she couldn't save right other innocent people but for some reason like this group of three like really sticks with her and i think her friends in the film kind of question that too and there's never really a good answer um but she, yeah, saves this one kid and suddenly it's like, oh, this little redemption arc for her that like, oh, she can she can save him even though she couldn't save them. Like, it just feels really flat. I, I, I think I, I think um, I told you after I saw this, I, I'm going to start I'm going to start second guessing Taylor Sheridan Productions after this. I really am like uh, Heller Highwater is great. Sicario was great. Everything after that has been lesser. I hear yeah. Yellowstone's really good, but that's a TV show. We don't do that on this show, and I'd, I'd need to go watch it and find yeah, out. Otherwise, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's almost like it needs to get back to doing those smaller films, you know. Uh, yeah. That was, what, D- Danny Vellanu for uh, Sicario. I can't remember who, who directed uh, Hell or High Water, unless it was him. Um, I don't remember. Um, but, yeah, it seemed, he, he seems to do better on, on these uh, smaller films. Or when he's just writing, his writing is great. Yeah. Uh, Hell or High Water was directed by David McKenzie, who oh, that's has right. not done anything particularly notable since, but solid direction. Yeah, maybe that's it. Like, maybe he's propped up by other creatives, like, and he can kind of get out a good script and then other people come along and say, hey, this is better. But I mean, since then, he did Sicario 2, which was okay. He did Without Remorse, which we watched on this show. That was the Michael B. Jordan movie uh, that was on Amazon Prime just a couple months ago. It's okay. Like, he did this. It was all right. It's like, we got to, you got to, what's going on man like I, I don't know i don't know i don't know what the deal is but uh hopefully he comes around otherwise for me this is a bit of a miss so andy any other thoughts for recommendations no i'm ready to move on andy would you recommend those who wish me dead <laughs> hard pass hard pass I, li- I like having a definitive answer uh it's extremely cliche it's not very tense uh the, it has a, g- a good cast uh, but they're way too good for everything in this film um and at no point do we believe that Angelina Jolie is a, a forest uh, or a firefighter. Uh, we don't. And again, it's a bunch of CGI smoke and fire also, which isn't very convincing. Uh, maybe it works better on the big screen. Um, but uh, yeah, hard pass. 
Yeah, same here. You're not missing anything. Um, it will be leaving HBO Max shortly. I would not encourage you to go check it out. Uh, <laughs> it will be available in streaming services, probably in a paid capacity. Hard pass. Like, it's it's okay. I, I think it, maybe you're like a really big fan of one of these actors. Okay, go for it. Because I, I think that I really do think they're doing the best with the script they have. But like, it's just not, it just doesn't come together for any kind of like really complete robust picture um so yeah if you're if you're like a hard if you're nicholas holt ride or die or you want to see what angelina jolie's up to before hopping into eternals like you know because that's her next big feature i think okay but like you could watch the trailer and see what this movie's got going on for it's real paint by numbers really flat um really a disappointment and uh i think the title is also very forgettable those who wish me dead is a forgettable title uh those who wish me dead is a better subtitle in fact, uh, The Conjuring could have been The Conjuring, Those Who Wish Me Dead. And I think it would have been better than The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. That's my hot take. Uh, the, Andy, yeah. Uh, well, I, I, I yeah. think it, it, there are films... That, I mean, because this is kind of a Western genre is, is essentially what it is. And there are yeah. these kind of types of cat and mouse uh, Westerns that have been made and that are very interesting. Um, you know, the first thing that comes to mind, No Country for Old Men, uh, is in... The, the similar similar vein but it's just this has been done so much better by lots of other films and then this has also been done to death just as poorly well i tell you what you make you you point out something really smart there like no country for old men you're right it like is a western and it's got a lot of those elements but no country for old men is like a a exercise in tension and it's very good at it. Like the, right. the the Coen brothers are very good at like creating and holding tension on screen and keeping you in suspense. That whole movie is a cat and mouse game. That's just very long and very slow. And somehow you end up glued to the screen the whole time. This movie it had none, it had none. There was like one scene where I was like, mm, this seems a little tense. And otherwise, like I, you just don't, I don't know. And maybe seeing it in a theater would have made the difference. I did watch this at home. I'll admit that's true. But um yeah, well, no, it just doesn't. I, I don't know. I think there's also it's it's a certain kind of film where it's it's gonna insinuate nastiness, but it's never gonna get too nasty. Like there, there's parts where it's like uh, you know they're threatening a pregnant woman, but like you know they're not gonna hurt the pregnant woman, you know. And right. and, and, there, and and there's a lot of that. It's like well, it's gonna it's not gonna get as dark as it could. You know, it's just not that kind of film. Right. You're not Nicholas Holt is not gonna shoot a pregnant woman in the face or anything. But <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and that's okay. Like we, we watch a lot of movies on this podcast and I think it's, it's easy for us to get like jaded by what we call bold cinema, right? Like movies that really jump out at you and go in a direction you don't see coming. And, and that's, 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 that's what I think this movie's missing. It just, it just needs something. It needs something more. It needs something more exciting. It's just, it's just a little flat and it's hard to recommend. So with that, we need to wrap the show. Like I said, no middle segment this week. Sorry, guys. Uh, I was late to the party, and that's on me. Andy, what are we watching next week? It's going to be a big return to uh, the summer blockbuster with F9, the uh, ninth film in the Fast and Furious franchise. Fast and Furious franchise. There's a lot of Fs there. Um, in theaters, June 25th, in theaters only. Um, and so this is going to be a big test to see uh, what theaters are, you know, are we actually coming out of the pandemic or is it, is it going to do huge numbers? I think it probably will. Um, so we're going to be watching that. And then we're going to be looking at Luca, which is uh, on going to be on Disney plus and that's Disney Pixar's uh, latest animated adventure. So that'll be hitting streaming. Uh, that's already on streaming right now, right? It is. I, I'm gonna be honest. I might have. I might have already watched Luca. Right. So, so, so those are the two we'll be taking a look at. All right.
It's going to be fun. I'm excited to get back in theaters and watch Fast Fast 9. I have not seen a Fast and Furious movie in a minute. And I think, you know, a lot of people are looking forward to getting back in theaters and feeling like some normalcy. And going and seeing a Fast and Furious movie, I mean, come on. That's that's as American as it gets, right? I was telling Andy, I read a report last week that said uh, projections estimate Black Widow is going to make more money than Fast 9. There's no way. There's no way, dude. Like, Fast 9 is going to blow Black Widow out of the water. It has to. Yeah. Well, it does so much better internationally. Yeah. And there's a week between release, right? It's Fast 9 and the next week is Black Widow. So, I mean, maybe time will tell, right? What do I know about Hollywood projections? But uh, I just I just feel like Fast 9 is going to blow it out of the water. We'll see. If you enjoyed the show today, you can listen to the podcast on your favorite podcasting app, right? Where you might be listening to it right now. iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartMedia, all those places. You can find the live stream where we live stream the show on video on Facebook every Tuesday around 5 o'clock p.m. this week. A little bit late, but it's 5 o'clock CST. We upload our archives on YouTube where you can see everything. And of course, you can check out our website, offscriptroomreview.com. But if you liked the show and you like what we're doing here and you want to support us, the best way you can do that is just subscribe to the show, whether that be on YouTube or your favorite podcasting platform, and maybe follow us over on Facebook. Keep up with us and see what we're doing so we can get new episodes of Offscript straight to your phone every single Tuesday when it comes out. You can write into the show. Uh, you can tell us what you thought of The Conjuring, or maybe tell us we're crazy about this those those who wish me dead opinion. Uh, you can write us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. You can comment on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're around. And, uh, you know, write in and let us know what you thought. But if you have the means, please subscribe to the show. It would mean a ton. Also, rate and review. That's important as well for those of you who's already subscribed. Just saying. And uh, I think that's that. From all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.